All right, would you please take the Word of God and turn with me to the book of Exodus in chapter 14. Exodus, or um, excuse me, chapter 15 is what I wanted to say. Exodus chapter 15. In Exodus chapter 14, at the beginning of the chapter, the children of Israel are leaving the land. Now remember, they left. The basis of them leaving, ultimately, we could say, was the blood of the Lamb. Those who had not applied blood on the doorpost, every firstborn of man and beast died on the night of the Passover. That very night... Uh, Pharaoh sent word to Moses to get the, the people out of Egypt. And so they began in their journey, and in Exodus chapter 14, they changed their direction. They don't take the straight route from Egypt to the promised land, which would have been going through the land of the Philistines. And so the Lord know, knew what He was doing, and so He brought them, He took them uh, southeastward, and He told them to encamp by the sea. Well, the Egyptians thought to themselves, we should not have let them go. And so they pursued the children of Israel. And it's as if God didn't know what He was doing when He led them to the Red Sea. At least that's what it appeared to the children of Israel. The Egyptians came behind them and they looked. And when they looked, the Bible said that they were sore afraid. They feared and they began to despair to speak sarcastically to Moses and to the Lord. And they cried out in despair, Did you bring us out here? Did you deliver us to die? Well, Moses, we know, he's going to command them to not fear, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And God is going to instruct Moses to tell the people to go forward by faith, to believe that God was going to bring them through that. And sure enough, God opened the Red Sea, and there was an east wind that blew all night, and I believe, as I expressed last week, that the children of Israel crossed the Red Sea on dry ground at night. And in the morning, uh, when the uh, pillar of a cloud was lifted between the children of Israel and the Egyptians, the, children, the Egyptians pursued them. The Bible says in Hebrews 11, they essayed to go the same way that the children of Israel went by faith. They pursued them and... God closed in the water on them. The Bible says the water returned to their strength. And they were all buried. And what we see here, notice we end chapter 14 with verse 31. And Israel saw the great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians. And the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. And now we come to uh, chapter 15. And before we begin to read in just a moment, uh, this is the first song recorded in Scripture. Uh, it is the song of Moses. Uh, it is uh, called also the song of redemption. And I'll mention why it is called the song of redemption in just a moment. But it is interesting to think, as we think about uh, the Scripture and what is contained in this divine revelation that the first song that we find in all the scripture is, is a song of redemption. Uh, there are many other songs that we will find throughout the scriptures, but this is indeed the first song. 
And tonight as we look and focus on Exodus chapter 15, it may seem as we go through it uh, to be academic in what I will be presenting, but uh, it will be indeed practical by the end of the message. And so um, hopefully uh, the points will be, be helpful that I'll bring out here from uh, the first song that we find recorded in the Scripture. So let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. And we're going to read verse 1 down to verse 22. So Exodus chapter 15, verse 1. Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord, and spake, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for He hath triumphed gloriously. The horse of His rider and His rider hath He thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song, and He is become my salvation. He is my God, and I will prepare Him an habitation, my Father God, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host hath he cast into the sea. His chosen captains also are drowned in the Red Sea. The depths have covered them. They sank into the bottom as a stone. Thy right hand, O Lord, is become glorious in power. Thy right hand, O Lord, hath dashed in pieces the enemy, and in the greatness of thine excellency thou hast overthrown them that rose up against thee. Thou sentest forth thy wrath, which consumed them as stubble. And with the blast of thy nostrils the waters were gathered together. The floods stood upright as an heap, and the depth were congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My lust shall be satisfied upon them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. Thou didst blow with thy wind, and the sea covered them. They sank as lead in the mighty waters. Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? Thou stretchest out thy right hand, the earth swallowed them. Thou in thy mercy hast led forth the people which thou hast redeemed. Thou hast guided them in thy strength unto thy holy habitation. The people shall hear and be afraid." Sorrow shall take hold on the inhabitants of Palestina. Then the dukes of Edom shall be amazed. The mighty men of Moab, trembling, shall take hold upon them. All the inhabitants of Canaan shall melt away. Fear and dread shall fall upon them. By the greatness of thine arm they shall be as still as a stone. Till thy people pass over, O Lord, till the people pass over which thou hast purchased. Thou shalt bring them in and plant them in the mountain of thine inheritance in the place, O Lord, which thou hast made for thee to dwell in. 
in the sanctuary, O Lord, which thy hands have established. The Lord shall reign forever and ever. For the horse of Pharaoh went in with his chariots and with his horsemen into the sea, and the Lord brought again the waters of the sea upon them, but the children of Israel went on dry land in the midst of the sea. Now the song is over. The Bible says, And Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a timbrel in her hand, and all the women went out after her with timbrels and with dances. And Miriam answered them, Sing ye to the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. So Moses brought Israel forth, uh, brought Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went there. Uh, they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. So we'll pause here, but I want to bring your attention to verse sixteen. And here the Bible says at the end of verse 16, O Lord, till the people pass, pass over which thou hast purchased. That's an interesting expression, purchased. Uh, the word purchased is the same word as redeemed. And so I'd like to uh, preach a message this evening that I've entitled, The Song of the Redeemed. The Song of the Redeemed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this evening for your word. Now, as we study this song, I pray that you would help us to learn some important things about the song itself, but also that we might learn the things that are taught in this song, uh, that we might set our minds on that which is good and right and profitable, and that, Lord, you would use uh, this song to uh, be a source of strength for us as it was for the children of Israel. And so we ask your blessing as we study the psalm, uh, this song and I pray that you'd give us understanding and gives us the wisdom to uh, make application for our lives personally. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I'm going to go right into this song and as I mentioned here, this song, I will deal with it and I I mention here in an academic way because I want to observe the facts about the song, but also in conjunction with the contents of the song. And I think that there are both things that we ought to observe about what the song is about, what the song emphasizes, but also at the same time learn some truths that are communicated in this song. And so I'm going to mention some statements in the, and, and then I'm going to expound on those. Uh, but I'm reminded of Psalm 106, verse 12, which says this, They believed then His word, referring back to the Red Sea crossing, and they sang His praise. I like that order. They believed His word, and they sang His praise. So as we read here Exodus chapter 15, this song is a spontaneous response and what I mean by spontaneous is unprepared. It is a spontaneous response of Moses and the children of Israel at what the Lord had done. At what the Lord had done. And as we observe this song, there are a number of things that we notice immediately about this song. 
and we think about this song as being the song of the redeemed. And the reason why I say that is because we refer to this as the song of Moses. But if you read all the way in Revelation chapter 15, the Bible says in heaven they sang the song of Moses. Well, what's that song? It's the song we find here in Exodus chapter 15. The first thing we see about the song of the redeemed is, first of all, the song of the redeemed is a significant change from crying to singing, from groaning to praising, and from fearing to proclaiming. Now, the reason why I say that is because they sing the song, and it is the first song in the Scriptures. But I'm concerned as to who is singing the song. The same people here that are singing the song are the same people early on in Exodus chapter 2 who remember as God looks down upon the children of Israel, the Bible says the children of Israel, they sighed by reason of the bondage and they cried unto the Lord. In Exodus 2.24 it says, And God heard their groaning. And so this is the same people who earlier in Exodus chapter 2 were sighing and groaning, but now they are praising God. You read even just in the chapter before we get to Exodus 15, in Exodus 14 verse 10, remember when they left the land of Egypt or they began to leave the land of Egypt, the Egyptians pursued them and the Bible says in Exodus 14.10, the children of Israel lifted up their, their eyes and the Egyptians marched after them and the Bible says, and they were sore afraid and the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. And so there's been a lot of crying for the children of Israel. From chapter 2 all the way to chapter 14, there's been at times some complaining. There's been at times some murmuring against Moses and against the Lord. Uh, but to here they go from crying to singing. They go from groaning to praising God. They go from fearing their death to now proclaiming the wonders of God. So ultimately, what is it that happens here in this song? I think we could say here that they are no longer occupied with themselves, but they are occupied now with the Lord. Uh, all, all the way to this point, they've been focused on, look at the bondage we are in. Look at the Egyptians pursuing us. We're going to die. We're going to die in this uh, land of bondage. We're going to die at the hand of the Egyptian soldiers that are pursuing us. Uh, but now they are no longer occupied with themselves. They are occupied with the Lord. That's what this song is about. When we sing and when we come to church, I think it's an important thing to do. Why do every time we meet do we sing? We sing because we want to occupy ourselves with the Lord. So we see that the song of the redeemed is a significant change, but then we also notice that the song of the redeemed is centered on the Lord. It is centered on the Lord. The Lord is the primary focus of this song. Uh, notice here, it is the primary focus of the song is not the crossing of the Red Sea. The primary focus of this song is the Lord Himself. And by the way, we find that. You see, they first, uh, when we read verse 1, they then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord. I want you to notice several things here. 
first they sang to the Lord, but then they also sang about the Lord. They sang to the Lord, and they sang about the Lord. The name Lord, all capital letters, L-O-R-D, is directly mentioned 12 times in this song. The Lord is mentioned through the pronouns He, Him, His, Thy, Thou, Thee, 35 times in this song. And so if my count is correct, the Lord is referenced at least 45 times in 19 verses. 45 times in 19 verses. I think we could say here uh, that this song is centered on the Lord. And the song of the redeemed is also centered on uh, the Lord. And so, by the way, that would be an average reference of, I did the math, 2.4 references to the Lord for every verse. Now, I want to lay in contrast here, and that's just because we're looking at the song and I'm thinking it in an academic way as to comparing to the songs that we find in the Scriptures to the songs that we find today under the umbrella of Christendom. You see, much of today's Christian songs are so unlike what we find in the Scriptures. Today's songs are full of uh, sentimentality instead of adoration. Uh, They announce uh, our love for God instead of His love for us. Uh, They recount our experiences instead of His mercies towards us. Uh, They tell more about human attainments than the atonement of Christ. Uh, The audience is often spellbound by uh, the gifted performance, but not by the substance of the truth. Uh, They are enthralled by the sound of the music, Uh, but not by the greatness of the Lord. Uh, They they are nothing more than spectators instead of being participants. And so how unlike what we find today in many churches. Uh, The Lord is not the center focus of uh, what goes on today uh, under the Christian music umbrella. It's about me. It's about my experience. It's about how much I love the Lord and how great I am. And the truth is, as we look through this song, there is nothing said about the greatness of Israel. Nothing at all. It's all about the greatness of God. And so the song of the redeemed is centered on the Lord. Uh, The Lord is the primary focus of the song. It is not even the crossing of the Red Sea. The next thing that we learn as we look through this song is that the song of the redeemed is an emphasis on what the Lord has accomplished. It is an emphasis on what the Lord has accomplished. You see, as I mentioned, the greatness of Israel is not in view here in this song. It is only the greatness of the Lord. Now, I want us to be reminded here, what is the basis of their deliverance? There is really two things that we can identify as the basis of their deliverance. We could say, first of all, that the basis of their deliverance is, first of all, the blood of the Lamb. Isn't it? You will do this, and after you do this, you will be delivered. You have to put blood on the doorpost, and that is the basis of their deliverance, the blood of the Lamb. But the second thing that they base the deliverance on, it's the power of God. Now, we saw that through the ten plagues, 
But we also saw that in the crossing of the Red Sea. So notice as we see the song of the redeemed, uh, what is their deliverance based on? It is based on those two things, the blood of the Lamb and the power of the Lord. So understand, when they're going to sing about the Lord, there is nothing that they can conjure up of themselves and say, look at how great we are. Look at the great things that we have done. Look at the power of our own hands. They could just say, it's the blood of the Lamb and it's the power of God and it's that alone. As we read, notice the tenure of the language. Not once is there a reference in this song as to we have triumphed. Our enemies, it says, God has triumphed over His enemies. They don't even say they are our enemies. Not once in this song. Notice here, and I I won't go through every verse, but let's look at a few first verses. Verse 1, he says... um, uh, this song unto the Lord, he sang the song to the Lord, and spake, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. Who triumphed? Is it the children of Israel? No, it's the Lord that has triumphed. Verse 2, The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. He is my God. Uh, what is it that delivered them? Was it their own strength? No, it was the Lord. Verse 4, Pharaoh's chariots and his host hath he cast into the sea. Hey, who was it? Was it wasn't it Moses that stretched out his arm and then uh, the waters returned? Even Moses didn't say it was his arms or his stretched out arm that buried the Egyptians. It was the doing of God. Verse 6, Thy right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power. Thy right hand, O Lord, hath dashed in pieces the enemy. Uh, and notice he says, this is what you've done, God. You have done this wonderful work. Notice verse 7. And in the greatness of thine excellency, thou hast overthrown them that rose up, notice, against thee. So, so you notice here how everything changed. Remember, they saw the Egyptians come behind them and they saw, we're going to die. It's it. They're going to overcome us. But on the other side of the Red Sea, they don't say, we have conquered our enemies. They say, God has vanquished His, the enemies. You see, the song of the redeemed is an emphasis on what the Lord has accomplished. The greatness of Israel is not in view here, only the greatness of the Lord. And it would do us well. You know, one of the reasons why we, there's nothing wrong with modern songs if they're right. But the reason why the hymns are so rich is because they speak of God and what God has done. It's not an emphasis on man and on how much I love the Lord. It's how much He loves us. There's another thing that we consider here is that the song of the redeemed recognizes that the Lord had delivered the children of Israel for His own glory. Oh, He brought them out because they're special people, because they're better than everybody else. No. God delivered them for His own glory. Uh, Do you notice with me in verse 1, if we go back, He says, Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord, and spake, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for He hath triumphed gloriously. The, 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 The horse and his rider hath He thrown into the sea. Notice God has... He has triumphed gloriously 
And so God, the song of the redeemed here, recognizes that the Lord has delivered the children of Israel for His own glory so that He could be glorified. Not so that the Israelites themselves might be feared among all nations, but so that all nations would fear the Lord. Uh, You see, it's important here to think, as we think about the song of the redeemed, uh, that they are not walking away from this great victory from the crossing of the Red Sea and looking at themselves and, oh, we have been glorified. Uh, we, are, uh, we are better than everybody else. No, they're saying God is better than everybody else. It is not us, it is the Lord. And what He has done is, is glorious. He has triumphed gloriously and He has done so so that He could be glorified. I've said this often, but I will repeat it again. The end of all things is the glory of God. The end of all things is the glory of God. The Bible says in the New Testament, whatsoever we do, do all to the glory of God. But often we get concerned with our own glory, with our own praise, with what we want to do in this life, instead of saying, you know, I live the way I live because I want to glorify God. And in the end, He will receive all the honor, the glory, and the praise because all things were created by Him and they were created for Him, for His glory. So the song of the redeemed recognizes that the Lord has delivered the children of Israel for His own glory. Uh, Then we notice also that the song of the redeemed acknowledges that the triumph of the Lord was accomplished without difficulty. I think that's an important point. Notice verse 7, and he expounds on that. Notice verse 7, he says, And in the greatness of thine excellency, thou hast overthrown them that rose up against thee. Thou sentest forth thy wrath, which consumed them as stubble. What is stubble? It's like nothing. Uh, no resistance, no friction to God. It was as nothing. And with the blast of thy nostrils. Now, uh, we think if you've ever been in a very strong wind, uh, you think about uh, the strength of the wind coming against you. And I don't know if you've ever been in a wind so strong that you actually it kind of pushed you back. Uh, but if I came up to you and even my, my son, David, come up here. Let's do an illustration. As, as, as much as I know, he's, uh, he's getting big. He's growing, it seems like, every week. But if I go up to David and I say, David, I'm going to try to blow as hard as I can, and hopefully you'll fall over. And if I blow on him and say, <laughs> it does nothing, does it? Why, it's just there's, there's not enough here. Now that's my mouth. Can you imagine my nose? It's like almost nothing coming out. Thank you, you may be seated. Sorry for that. Uh, Hopefully nothing came out. (laughs) But, not God's mouth. God's nostrils. Why why would he say that? Because it speaks of the nothingness that the Egyptian army was against God. They are nothing. Uh, The Bible talks about Job, uh, when God speaks to Job, He says, all the nations and all the isles are at but a drop in the bucket. They are nothing to God. 
And so here, the song of the redeemed acknowledges the triumph of the Lord was accomplished without difficulty. We keep reading, even in verse 9, it says, The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My lust shall be satisfied upon them. I will draw my sword. Uh, my hand shall destroy them. That's what the Egyptian says. I will, I will, I will. That sounds a lot like Satan. And it sounds a lot like uh, man in his carnality who thinks one day he's going to vanquish God. He's going to overthrow uh, the, the God of heaven. He said, I will, we're going to defeat him. We're going to get them. And then verse 10, thou didst blow with thy wind. And the sea covered them. They sunk as lead in the mighty waters. That's uh, metal. Uh, Metal just sinks down, straight down. And so the song of the redeemed here acknowledges that the triumph of the Lord was accomplished without difficulty. Without difficulty. It was as nothing to God. I'm always reminded when we get to the end of all things and we read about uh, the, uh, the white horse coming down from heaven and the nations of the earth gathering themselves against the Lord. Say, we're going to defeat God. And then God comes down with his sword and uh, the great battle that is anticipated. The Bible says, and he took the beast. And it was it. That was it. It's almost like there's an anticipation thinking about, oh, there's going to be a a great wrestling match between God and the world. And actually, there's nothing that goes on. God just takes him and it's over. And so here we say, oh, there's going to look at the might of these Egyptian army. And so to, to the children of Israel, remember, they got to the place where they were so afraid of that Egyptian army that the Egyptian army is going to wipe them out completely. And now on the other side of that, they see that Egyptian army has nothing. Why? Because they don't see the Egyptian army with respect to themselves. They see the, the Egyptian army with respect to God. And all of a sudden, with respect to God, the Egyptian army seems as nothing. You see those mighty warriors coming down. We will overpursue. We will overtake. We will divide the spoil. Our lust will be satisfied. We will draw the sword. Uh, my hand shall destroy them. And then, whew, they're done. That's it. That's it. So, the littleness of man, the littleness of man is only understood when the greatness of God is understood. The littleness of man will be understood only when the greatness of God is understood. Do we serve a great God? Let me ask you this, now this will be personal then why do you let the world affect you so much? We all agree we serve a great God. So the littleness of the world is the world raging against God. Is that anything to God? Oh, no, it is not. It is but as a drop in a bucket. And so in the greatness of God, then we see the littleness of the world. And so we have to have an exalted view of God then. And this song does that. We keep going and notice we also note in verse 11, the song of the redeemed declares the exclusive attribute of the Lord. And uh, notice verse 11, he says, Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee? And he says, glorious in holiness. 
fearful in praises, doing wonders. Now we might think here that we would bring up the attribute of God as a warrior. Now he says early on that he, God is a, a man of war and he does war and, and he does. And in the sense here, he is judging the Egyptians because of their rebellion against God, because they elevated themselves against God. And so we see that clearly in this passage here. But when we say, uh, when he says, who is like the Lord? Here, here's this question, who is God? How, how can we compare God to the other gods of this world? The Egyptians didn't, didn't they have some warrior gods that could fight for them. At least that's what they believe believe uh, that's that was their concept and even today those who are idolaters they have some ideas about their god they have a god that keeps them safe and a god uh, but but there's uh, no other god in the world that is a god that is holy holy uh, people see a god that primary is a one who gives them good things the primary characteristic of the god of the bible is His holiness. It is the only attribute that is repeated three times consecutively of God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth is full of His glory. And so here, notice, after the, this battle, you think that they would think about some other thing about God to say, no, His holiness stands as a chief attribute. He is glorious in holiness, notice, fearful in praises, doing wonders. The truth is, everything that God does is holy. His love is holy. His judgment is holy. His mercy is holy. It is the attribute that encompasses all other attributes. Everything that God does is holy, undefiled, separate from sinners. We also notice something else in verse 13. We see that the song of the redeemed remembers the purpose of God's deliverance. Notice here how now this song uh, moves in verse 12 and 13. He says, Thou stretchest out thy right hand, the earth swallowed them. So here it is. <laughs> the Egyptians are gone. And remember what Moses said. Uh, God will deliver you and you will never see them again. And so now they're thinking to themselves, well, they're buried. We have our ultimate freedom. The Egyptian army has been defeated. They have nothing left. But notice verse 13. Thou in thy mercy has led forth the people which thou hast redeemed. Thou hast guided them in thy strength unto thy holy habitation. God, notice, he says, thou hast redeemed... Thou hast guided, this has been done in God's mercy, but they've been redeemed and they've been guided unto where? Well, notice, it says unto thy holy habitation. And lest we misunderstand, this holy habitation is not the promised land. This holy habitation is the presence of God. Uh, do you remember, if you hold your place here, turn with me to uh, Exodus chapter Exodus uh, chapter 19. A little later here, God is uh, going to speak to the children of Israel through Moses at Mount Sinai, and He um, 
tells Moses to tell the people what God has done and the purpose for what God has done for them. Notice Exodus chapter 19, uh, verse 3, And Moses went up unto God, and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, Ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bear you on eagles' wings, and brought you unto myself. Why did God redeem them? God redeemed them out of Egyptian bondage to bring them to himself. Now notice, by Exodus 19, they're not in the promised land yet. That's not going to happen until the book of Joshua. They're going to even go through 40 years of wilderness wanderings. And the point I'm showing to you is that the holy habitation is not the promised land. The holy habitation is the presence of God. God says, I redeemed you. You saw what I did for you. And the reason why I conquered the Egyptian army is I, and I bear you on eagle's wings is that I wanted to bring you to myself. And so the song of the redeemed, uh, uh, notice, uh, remembers the purpose of God's deliverance. The reason why they would be redeemed was not so that they might just be free. It is so that they might be free to serve God and to be in the presence of God. Why has God redeemed us from our sins? It is so that we might be with Him. It is so that we might serve Him. And here the song of the redeemed remembers the, purposes, the purpose of God's deliverance. But we also notice here that the song of the redeemed expresses the impact of God's greatness on the heathen world. Uh, notice verse 14, he says, The people shall hear and be afraid. Sorrow shall take hold on the inhabitants of Palestina. Then the dukes of Edom shall be amazed. The, the mighty men of Moab trembling shall take a hold upon them. All the inhabitants of Canaan shall melt away. Fear and dread shall fall upon them. Uh, by the greatness of thine arm, they shall be as still as, as a stone. Till thy people pass over, O Lord, till the people pass over which thou hast purchased. And by the way, I won't go there for sake of time, but a few chapters later in Exodus chapter 18, Jethro, he comes to Moses, he says, I heard what God did for you. And then later when Joshua brings the people and he send out, sends out spies to Jericho, Rahab says, I've heard what God did for you in Joshua chapter 2. Then even later in Joshua chapter 9, we see that the Gibeonites, they came to Joshua and he said, we heard how God delivered you from the Egyptian bondage. Uh, even all the way later, uh, hundreds of years later, in 1 Samuel chapter 4 verse 8, the Philistines themselves, hundreds of years later, still remember what God has done for Israel. Now he has redeemed the people to be with him. And so the song of the redeemed expresses the impact of God's greatness on the heathen world. As to what? What God did for the redeemed. But there's one more thing we find in this song and that is the song of the redeemed also anticipates the fulfillment of God's promises. Notice with me verse 17, he says, uh, Thou shalt bring them in, and plant them in the mountain of thine inheritance, in the place, O Lord, which thou hast made for thee to dwell in, 
in the sanctuary, O Lord, which thy hands have established, the Lord shall reign forever and ever. So now he's looking to the future. And so in this song of the redeemed, the song here anticipates the fulfillment of God's promises. And we find here that they anticipate the fulfillment of God's promises. Why? Because they've seen the promises of God already fulfilled. Them trusting in a future fulfillment is based on what God has already done. It is not blind faith. It is faith in the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen that are future. Why? Because they had seen promises fulfilled in the present. Going all the way back to Genesis chapter 15, when God made the promise to Abraham of the descendants who would be in bondage to that foreign land. So the song of the redeemed anticipates the fulfillment of God's promise. So we, um, there is a picture for us here. These are, uh, excuse me, <coughs> they are a redeemed people. They are redeemed out of Egyptian bondage. They are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb in the Passover. They are redeemed by the power of God in the crossing of the Red Sea. And there's a sense that, okay, we do not experience the physical deliverance from physical bondage as the Egyptians did, but we have a redemption which is a spiritual redemption that we were in bondage to sin and we have been redeemed. We have been redeemed from the slave market of sin and our feet has been placed on a solid rock. That rock is Jesus Christ. And we also should have a song just like uh, Moses and the children of Israel had a song then. We are also a redeemed people. The Bible says uh, that we are to glorify God with our bodies. Why? Because we've been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your spirit and in your body which are God's. Okay, so we are a redeemed people. And I would argue that our redemption is much greater than any physical redemption from physical bondage. And I think that the points that we find in the Song of the Redeemed here are the same points that we ought to find in our song today. What should we sing about today? Well, I think that we should sing about the significant change that has happened in our lives. We go from being sighing and groaning in our sin, no victory over sin, but in complete bondage. And now we can uh, sing praise to God. We can proclaim God's goodness. We can sing the praise of God. Why? Because we are a redeemed people. Because we are redeemed people, our song should be centered on the Lord because we know that our salvation, our redemption is not based on our goodness, on our merit, but it is based upon what God has done for us. As Romans 5.8 tells us that God commendeth His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We didn't come offering anything to God. There's nothing that we had that was worthy of being offered to God. But He offered Himself as a sacrifice on our behalf. And so when we sing, our song should be centered on the Lord. The Lord ought to be the primary focus of our song. Uh, not, if you would, uh, our greatness or what we did to bring about redemption for ourselves. There could be no redemption were it not for the blood of Jesus Christ. 
Our song as the redeemed should really emphasize what the Lord has accomplished. You see, the greatness of uh, our greatness is not in view as we sing to the Lord. It is only the greatness of the Lord and what He has done. The song of the redeemed, we ought to recognize that the Lord has delivered us for His glory. For His glory. Now, do we get a great benefit from it? Of course we do. But the primary emphasis of His redemption is His glory. And certainly we know how it all ends. When we see, the Bible says, when we look to the Lamb of God, the Lion from the tribe of of Judah, when we see the Lamb in heaven sitting on the throne, we're going to take our crowns that we receive from our service to Him and we will cast our crowns at His feet. Why? Because He alone is worthy to receive the glory, the honor, and the praise. We are not looking at ourselves and our greatness. We are looking at the greatness of our God. You see, the song of the redeemed acknowledges that the triumph of the Lord was accomplished also without difficulty. You remember at the cross, you have the raging of the Jews and the raging of the Romans and all that they did against the Lord. And yet the Lord accomplished redemption's plan without difficulty. The song of the redeemed we ought to sing and declare the exclusive attribute of God. Now you say, well, how, what does that have to do with our redemption? Well, I think of the cross, one of the greatest things that is communicated at the cross is the holiness of God. Why? Because it is at the cross that our sin was paid for. It is at the cross that Jesus Christ nailed our sin on the cross. He, he became sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. And so when we think about the judgment and, uh, and the grace and the love of God that are met together at the cross, declare what? The holiness of God. That God both did both things. He judged sin and He gives us grace and forgiveness of sins. Why? Because He is holy. Let's not forget that it cost the blood of Jesus Christ. Our sin cost the blood of Jesus Christ. But there is a mentality today among those who claim some form of redemption of Christianity. You say, well, I'm forgiven as if God kind of just overlooks your sin and He doesn't care about your sin. No, He cares very much about your sin. That's why He died for your sins. And so we emphasize the holiness of God. As redeemed people, we ought to also remember and sing about the purpose of God's deliverance. We are predestinated to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That is the purpose of our redemption. Now, it will be attained. We will be glorified. But God has redeemed us. He has saved us. Why? Not to leave us to ourselves wondering and uh, declaring the own course of our lives. Say, well, now that I'm saved, I can live as I please. No, you are saved to serve God. You were a slave to sin. Now, my friend, you are a slave to Christ. So I don't like that term slave. Well, you can argue with Paul when we get to heaven. Because he certainly saw himself as a slave of Jesus Christ. The song of the redeemed expresses also the impact of God's greatness in the heathen world. We sang a, a song which is really an invitation Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing blood 
Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Have your garments... Are, are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? That's an invitation. Why? Because redemption that was accomplished for us was also accomplished for them. It is a song of invitation. The redeemed expresses the impact of God's greatness on the heathen world. And finally, the song of the redeemed anticipates the fulfillment of God's promises. The truth is, Jesus Christ came to die for our sins. But guess what? He is coming back. And there are still promises that are yet to be fulfilled that He will fulfill and we ought to sing about those promises because they are great. So the song of the redeemed. The question is, what will be one of the songs in heaven? I'm glad you asked the question. Turn to Revelation chapter 15 and we'll be done. Revelation chapter 15. The scene is heaven. The Bible says in verse 1, And I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them is filled up the wrath of God. And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire, and them that had gotten the victory over the beast and over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name stand in the sea of glass, having the harps of God, and they sang the song of Moses, the servant of God. And the song of the Lamb saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou only art holy. Interesting, holiness. For all nations shall come and worship before thee, for thy judgments are made manifest. You see, the song that will one day be sung in heaven is the exact song that was sung in Exodus chapter 15. Now I think that that song was no doubt uh, prophetic in nature and that it would be a future song. I don't think they knew that at that moment, but we have the benefit of knowing that now. that the song of the redeemed back in Exodus chapter 15 ought to be very familiar to us who are also a redeemed people. Say, so, all right, so what lessons do we draw here from this, Pastor? Well, again, I'm glad you asked the question. I know we gather in church and we sing together. And that's good, that's important. But is there a song in your heart? Can you sing the song of the redeemed? And what we learn here is what happened to the children of Israel is, remember it was bondage, oppression, sighing, fear, complaining, murmuring, all the things that we've studied so far. And now, we get to Exodus 15, and they sing about the Lord. So, they are no longer occupied with themselves, but they are occupied with the Lord. 
How about you tonight? Are you occupied with yourself? Or are you occupied with the Lord? Uh, you judge yourself and ask yourself that question. Uh, we live in a troubled world, no doubt about it. But we have a great God. So let's rejoice in that great God. Say, Pastor, what if? No, it doesn't matter. Whatever you put into the what if, God is greater. Let's pray.